in southern Ontario means Justin Trudeau is back face to face with angry protesters. These people certainly won't be voting liberal. Five weeks of campaigning throughout a pandemic, a 36-day federal election campaign that cost $600 million, it's all finally come to an end. Hello, and welcome to The Rundown. I'm Casey Stanford. This election was astonishingly ill-timed. The results reveal a clear repudiation from Canadians on Justin Trudeau's power grab for a majority. We hold our governments accountable for playing politics and triggering a snap election for purely partisan purposes in this country. Still, not one party accomplished anything that they had set out to achieve in this election. Not the one. And before we get into this election, let me ask if you're aware of how Canada's newly re-elected third-term Prime Minister has spent this country's first day of truth and reconciliation. Vacationing with his family in Tofino. That's right. Leaders of the First Nation in Kamloops, British Columbia, had sent two invitations to Trudeau to join them at their ceremony, but instead... He flew right over Kamloops and landed in Tofino a couple hundred kilometers away, where he and his wife were seen dressed in black and walking hand in hand on the beach. Couldn't even be bothered to put on an orange shirt. After all, this isn't a holiday. It's a national day of reflection and remembrance for all those children who attended Canada's institutions of assimilation and genocide. This is our collective history, and by refusing to spend this day, not the night before, virtue signaling, giving a presser at a ceremony in Ottawa, 32 First Nation communities are still without access to clean, safe drinking water. He walks on a beach. Kids and adults who are vaccinated are wearing orange shirts and attending ceremonies throughout the nation. And the Prime Minister and his wife are wearing black on a vacation, secluded on a beach. Trudeau hasn't learned. And get this, originally, his public itinerary originally stated that um, he would be attending public meetings in Ottawa. When the media broke this story, the Prime Minister's office updated his itinerary to reflect his vacation instead. The arrogance of this Prime Minister is appalling. His actions speak louder than words, but then again, they always have. We'll be right back after this short message. 
If you or anyone you know needs support, reach out to the National Residential School Crisis Line at 1-866-925-4419. To reach the Kids Helpline, text C-O-N-N-E-C-T to 686-868. Right now you're only up one seat, but you put more money into this campaign than ever before. You have far more name recognition than you did in 29, and you had a much more aggressive campaign. So what do you think went wrong that this time didn't really change compared to 2019. Well, you know, I, I think that this is, uh, for, on our part as a party, Mr. Trudeau's calling the election. I'll, I'll come to that. I don't think that was a good decision. But uh, I'm really proud that we were able to use the resources and time that we had to hear from people and, most more importantly, to share their stories. The fact that we were able to take a national campaign and highlight the plight of a lot of people. We were able to talk to workers in Alberta who right now are at the brink. We met ICU nurses that were in tears about how horrible things are in healthcare because of cuts to healthcare and how, how important it is for us to fight for healthcare, to fight for those workers and fight for people so that they can get the care they need. We went to Nishkandaga. This is an indigenous community that hasn't had clean drinking water for 27 years. To take our national campaign there and to, to give people a voice, to give a platform to those people, I think is time and resources well spent. So I'm proud that we were able to, to run a campaign that lifted up people from coast to coast to coast. We were able to share stories and to fight for what people care about and to hear from them. And that's something I'll, I'll, never, I'll never regret. clearly, but I will tell you that certainly I am disappointed. Uh, it is hard to lose. No one likes to lose. Uh, but I'm so proud of the effort, um, the creativity, the innovation that our team brought to this race. Um, we promised to offer real representation. We promised to offer a real choice to the people of Toronto Centre who have so much need, so, many, so much work that needs to get done. And you did that, and I thank you for that. Green leader enemy Paul has since resigned. Paul did a lousy job getting the green agenda out to Canadians and advancing environmental stewardship, which is quintessential for the Greens. They never ran in an entire slate of candidates. If memory serves me correctly, they didn't even run a single candidate in Quebec. To make matters worse, not only did Paul not get elected again, but she finished fourth in her writing. At a time when environmentalism is so compelling and the Canadian Greens are so unpopular, I think it speaks volumes about the inner conflicts within their party. More people had voted for the PPC than the Greens. A difference of 445,181 votes. That's not a minor variance. The internal Green Party dynamics were not done behind closed doors. They aired their internal conflicts for all of Canada to see. To witness the Green Party in such disarray is unfortunate. MP Atwin crossed the floor to join the Liberals months ago over an internal conflict that allegedly took place over what was transpiring in Israel and in Gaza. That led to heated debates within the party and the Greens governing body trying to oust Paul as the leader and attempting to withhold something like a quarter of a million dollars from her campaign. Paul's third time running in Toronto Centre was this election. 
The first time running, she placed fourth. The second time, she placed second, and now fourth again. Toronto Center is a long-held liberal riding, but Anami remained committed to the people of that riding. Paul is the first black and Jewish leader of a national political party in Canadian politics. Although the party blames Paul for their turmoil, let's remember. Enemy had also indicated multiple attacks she faced internally as party leader. There are two sides to every story, after all. I will say I enjoyed um, this moment from the leaders' debate. Just watch. I have said before, and I'll say again tonight, that I do not believe that Mr. Trudeau is a real feminist. A feminist doesn't continue to push strong women out of his um, out of his party uh, when uh, they are just seeking to serve. And I will say their names tonight and thank them. Thank you, Jane Philpott. Thank you, Jody Wilson-Raybould. Thank you, Selena Cesar Chavez. And I'm here tonight thanks to the work that you have done. I believe that if there were more women on this platform tonight and in previous years, that we, in fact, uh, would have better, uh, better laws in our military. We would have far, um, child care at this point. We would have many of the things that we need. I am the only woman other than Elizabeth May to be on this platform in the last 18 years. The Liberal I Party has never had a woman lead I think, it. Paul, I think it's time for the party to examine I think, Ms. Hall, you'll yeah. perhaps understand that I won't take lessons on caucus management from you. And I, think I think what I will keep focused on is making sure heard. that our, our first woman uh, finance minister has moved. As for the People's Party of Canada, well, I wish... I wish I could chuckle at them right now. I yearn to call them out on everything. But the fact is, they did influence the election. Even if they didn't win a seat. They more than doubled their vote count from the 2019 election. 5% of the vote is something that cannot be ignored. Or lessened in any way. Their upsurge in popularity garnered thousands of votes in many races from coast to coast to coast, and it most certainly rippled the footing of the Liberals and many Conservatives. It will be interesting to see what comes from this party in the future. Bernier once again suffered defeat in his respective riding, and I think the rise in the party's support has more to do with the partisan polarization and the influence of the pandemic. Whether or not the PPC remain an alternative for many in the next election, one irrefutable point is that it was indeed a platform for many Canadians in this election. Whatever polarizing situation transpires over the next couple of years, this fringe party will use the country's division to their benefit once again. The block, the block will be sending 33 MPs to Ottawa. Out of the 78 seats in Quebec that are up for grabs, the NDP only captured one of those seats. Liberals acquired 30 seats in Quebec while the Conservatives got 10. Quebec voters are the most fluid voters in Canada, and any time we are dealing with a strong block, it invariably results in a minority government. Bloc Québécois leader Blanchette has asked 
Prime Minister Trudeau to convene a summit with his provincial territorial counterparts to discuss federal health transfers. He says premiers have asked Ottawa for an immediate $28 billion injection into their struggling healthcare systems. The election results indicate that voters think a minority parliament can function adequately and expect leaders to work together collectively. One should fear the Bloc Québécois. What is good for the Bloc Québec, what is good for Quebec, will be supported by the Bloc Québécois. What is not good for Quebec will be fought by the Bloc Québécois. Once again, and every time, we will continue to improve what is put forward so that ultimately it all serves Quebec and all the better if it serves Canada's provinces. Liberals will be sending 159 MPs back to Ottawa. The Conservatives are sending 119 MPs to Ottawa, the Bloc 33, and the NDP 25, along with two Greens. That's our next government, folks. Canada, it's as divided now as it was back in August when the writ was dropped. So the question remains, where does this leave us? My intention is to continue to deliver to Canadians uh, the ambitious mandate that they voted us in on. In mid-August, the current PBO projected that the deficit for this fiscal year to be $138.2 billion, down a little from $154.7 billion uh, that the government unveiled in the spring budget. The Liberals will have to gain enough opposition support to get their agenda through Parliament. Once again, that will be the NDP. There were multiple overlaps between parties addressing some significant issues during the election, but I'm pretty confident the Conservatives don't want to work with the Liberals. The Bloc is only interested in Quebec, and the Greens... mm, They don't even have official party status in the House right now, which requires occupying 12-seat minimum. The Liberals' platform outlined roughly $78 billion in new spending over five years and housed, hoped to ease uh, the burden on the federal treasury with $25 billion in supplementary tax measures. The NDP can work with the Liberals on reeling in excess profits from large corporations and banks. The NDP would undoubtedly push for this, but the Liberals, I'm pretty confident, with 101%, will give 101 reasons, saying why it cannot be done, saying it's just not possible. Trudeau will, once again, under-deliver on his promises, may join the campaign. He's headed back to Ottawa in arguably a more challenging predicament than he had before calling the election. He has left a sour taste in the mouths of the majority of Canadians. He failed to make a compelling case for why this election was desperately needed to achieve what he wanted to accomplish. He will effectively be writing his political obituary if he forces another election spontaneously before 
18 to 24 months. And even then, it's going to be quite interesting to see how that plays out with the electorate as well as the opposition. In a minority parliament, governments must rely on the support of other parties to stay in power, granting less stability than a majority. Most minority governments in Canada have served less than two years. Fun fact, nearly a third of all federal elections in Canada have produced a minority government. An important point to make here is this is not the same as a coalition government. Coalition governments are known as an absolute majority, and they're actually pretty rare in Canada. The only forms have been written contractual agreements between a minority party and a larger party agreeing to work together for a certain period of time. Having a minority government offers the opportunity for opposition parties to exert more influence, something the NDP has a long track record of doing, even while they're in fourth place. They remain a compelling opposition force in the House of Commons. No doubt that they will continue that work. So, to wrap this all up, I'm going to say it's the same old, same old. Liberals and conservatives speak for the privileged few in this country. To identify the fundamental and persistent problems affecting Canada, the real meat and potato issues for families, we need to vote for real change. Once again, we voted for the status quo and more liberals patchwork. So inspiring, Canada. All right, well, that's it for me, everyone. Thanks again for listening. I'll leave you now with a clip from the late Jack Layton's 2011 victory speech when the NDP made history in Canadian politics. Take care, everyone, and fresh into the campaign, it looked unpromising that the Liberals' gamble in calling a snap election would deliver them with a majority. Still, disgruntled Canadians voiced their disgust in the election, and it was apparent early on with Conservatives tightening in the polls that Trudeau would have to fight hard to retain power. On voting night, when the ballots were counted, they held on to power despite coming up short in their bid to win a majority. I see Canadians standing together, together in your determination to end this pandemic, together for real climate action for $10 a day childcare, for homes that are in reach for middle-class families. For our shared journey on the path of reconciliation. As Canadians, you've elected parliamentarians to deliver on all this, and our team, our government, is ready. The Conservatives started the night with some gains in Atlantic Canada, yet they failed to break through nationally. Despite the near-dead race among two leading parties in opinion polling, the Conservative Party of Canada came up short in its quest to expand its big blue tent and oust the now three-term Liberal Prime Minister. For the election Justin Trudeau wants in another 18 months, we will take stock of what worked and what didn't. And we will continue to put in the time showing more Canadians that they are welcome in the Conservative Party of Canada. 
They're headed back to Ottawa with the equivalent number of seats they held before the election. They did win the popular vote for the second consecutive election with 33% of the vote. But with our electoral system, the popular vote doesn't even matter. Not if it doesn't translate to additional seats. This election, it could have been an easy win for conservatives. Some conservative circles actually deem possible um, that it may even be more effortless than in 2019 for Andrew Scheer. So what went wrong? They submitted, policy-wise, a far more centrist platform than I was envisioning. I think it's spending outpaced liberals, which perhaps was not the best approach if you're contesting liberals' deficit spending and advice, um, and your advice is fiscal responsibility. Look, Conservatives' narrative of economic management and fiscal responsibility, it was squandered in O'Toole's rebranding of Conservatives 2.0. The CPC never actually had a plausible argument to vote for them. Besides, I think O'Toole's resistance to requiring his candidates be vaccinated during a pandemic election, I think that hurt the Conservatives. As I said, this should have been an easy win for them. They were leading in the national polls. I will say O'Toole did an excellent job at masking his disappointment on election night. Um, he has had to fend off the PPC while striving to sway his party closer to the center. The election could not have been an effortless ride. I'm also not a fan of Harper, and I don't like Shearer by any means. So... Of course, I'd like to see O'Toole remain as party leader. Um, it'll be interesting to see if the CPC can continue swapping out leaders because I don't think what they're doing now with a leadership review after every election is a winning strategy. Still, I'm sure my conservative friends would argue to that point, neither is O'Toole's centrist agenda. My party did no better. Despite spending $24 million on this campaign, the NDP was shot out of Atlanta, Canada, losing the one seat we had and barred out of the largest city in the country. I was agitated with the election results. I was. I would think that many New Democrats on election night were not pleased. We've lost seats in the last two elections and gained one seat in this election. We've received some 3 million votes, roughly 17% of the vote. And I want to let Canadians know that you can count on New Democrats to continue fighting for you. As we have fought for you in the pandemic, when times are difficult, when people were struggling, when people were worried about their future, we were there for you. We fought to make sure people got more help. We fought to increase the CERB. We fought to increase the wage subsidy. We saved millions of jobs. And we help millions of Canadians stay at home. We are going to continue fighting for you. Just the same way we fought for you in the pandemic, you can count on us to continue those fights. There are 32 seats in Atlanta, Canada. 24 of those seats are held by Liberals, and the Conservative Party of Canada now has eight. Our strategy failed. Why? The NDP spent nearly half of their campaign budget on advertisements, social media, and online. Some New Democrats are asking for accountability because they believe they lack the resources and training at the riding level to get the vote out. 
Me personally, I would have preferred to see Singh spending more time talking about his plan instead of attacking Trudeau's record. NDP has had a solid start from the get-go, but our support it really started to slip in the last two weeks of the campaign. Whenever New Democrats win over 20% of the vote nationally, the Liberals can succeed. And it's honestly so baffling to me that with the downfall right now of the Green Party, we were incapable of capitalizing on that and adding additional seats to our count. As a Social Democrat and a fan of Jagmeet Singh, I have to confess, my rock-hard, solid support, it's been chipped. I'm over the cringe-worthy, rapid-hand gesture, TikTok videos. Look, I honestly am. I applaud him for reaching out to younger voters. I really do. But that that strategy, it's just not working. It will not produce seats large enough to form a government or a caucus even big enough to develop the official opposition. We are not even third. At the end of the day in politics, if you're not winning, you're losing. Singh's likability, it's just not enough for the Canadian electorate to vote for NDP. It's a loss not just for me as a leader and not just for New Democrats as a team, but it's a loss for Canada, some of these really incredible candidates that would have really made a big difference. No question about it, that I think the NDP is capable of providing a real alternative to Canadians. We are living in a time to make a compelling preliminary case for socialism. But the idea of social democracy has never been shared by the majority of the voters in North America. Many view it as a radical political ideology, a claim echoed by right-wing politicians and the conservative media echo chambers. In Canada and the United States, most of the electorate has been committed to the conservative liberal philosophy. And I'm willing to bet that a large majority of the people... What they know about socialism is only that they don't like it. They have a deep fear of any minor turn to the principles of social democracy, nervous that it would lead to instability and radical changes. Now, a major complaint about the NDP is we are too ambitious. All we want to do is spend our platform on higher taxes for the middle class. You know, bullshit arguments like that. Which, by the way, the argument is so categorically false. You cannot have high taxes under socialism. Because under socialism, everybody pays the same. Now, do I think Jagmeet Singh should be replaced as the leader of the NDP? No. No, I do not. And I say that because it took Jack Layton several years to form the official opposition. Singh was considered the most popular party leader throughout the election cycle. Canadians are now getting to know Jagmeet, they're becoming familiar with him, and that's essential. For this reason, I think it's vital to maintain consistency and not switch party leaders. Allow Singh to have another crack at it, and if the results come in in the next election, um, if it's the same number of seats as now, or there's a carving out of the party's base, 
then have those conversations. But at that time, not right now. Similar to the conservatives, I caution either party on being too swift to replace the leader. Now, that's obviously an entirely different scenario with Enemy Paul. Stick around, because I'll discuss the Greens and PP and the PPC right after this. And I think of all the people who came before us, the millions of men and women who believed so passionately in a more fair society, and they refused to give up, often in the face of overwhelming odds, we stand on the shoulders of these giants. Your voices have been heard tonight. 